Well, I'm going to come down here and pick up my sermon. There we go. In the uh, news this week were a couple of things. One was uh, the data breach that happened at Equifax, uh, where they estimated like half of their um, people that had gone to their website or other things, uh, that their information was compromised. And certainly that's something that can scare a lot of people. Uh, years ago, uh, we didn't even know of things like LifeLock. You know, that those things had to be invented because information is so readily available and sometimes the information that you don't want available becomes available. And so there's services like LifeLock out there that didn't even exist years ago. Um, another thing in the news was uh, the nursing home down in Florida that lost power, and, and not a lot of, I, I hadn't seen in the news where a lot of the questions had been answered, a lot of investigating going on, but a nursing home that had lost uh, power to its air conditioners and, and eight of the residents had passed away. Uh, some, of that, some of that kind of shocks us and troubles us, right? And maybe it should, it definitely should. And we have questions because we want to know how does that happen. But the reason why that's a big deal, what, what is underneath all of that is this idea of trustworthiness, or uh, what we've entitled the sermon today, which is called stewardship. The idea that you, when you give your information to a national or even international organization like Equifax, you expect that, that organization to be trustworthy or to be a good steward of your information. You don't expect it to be made public knowledge, which is why when that happens, it's somewhat shocking and very troublesome. Certainly, um, there's very often where we entrust other things to people, um, like our, maybe our house. When you hire someone to do a work at your house, you're entrusting them not only with the house the way it is, but the future of your home. You know, if you're having a roof put on, you want your home to have an umbrella of protection, a roof of protection over it for the next 20, 30 years. Maybe even more, depending on what you're purchasing. But you're trusting them. You're entrusting them. You're saying, I expect you to do what we've agreed is going to happen. What about funds? When you entrust organization with your funds, you don't think, well, I'm going to give you this money, and you can do whatever you like with it. No, you, almost without thinking, assume that those funds will not only be there for you anytime you want, but that they will grow. That is almost an assumption, but underneath that assumption is this idea of trustworthiness, that they will be a good steward of what's there. Uh, at times, you may deposit valuables into a safe deposit box, or you might trust someone else with something that's very meaningful to you. It, of course, is more powerful when we talk about trusting people to others. Um, a father may give away his daughter at a wedding ceremony, he's entrusting his daughter to someone. Um, and like in the news, when you place someone you, you love that you know they need care that maybe you cannot provide, and you put them in a nursing home, you are entrusting them that they will take the, the greatest care of them. Which is why in the news it, it may be shocking when you think possibly the greatest care wasn't given. Um, Certainly, I think on the positive side of all of the stewardship in this congregation right now 
are so many of you that have worked as or work currently as a caregiver or an emergency responder. Um, and I know from conversations with you that you don't just see it as an occupation. It's not just a way to create wage for you. You feel that you are entrusted. You feel that you are a steward. When, when you're on call or, or when you are, uh, you know, clock, clocked in, you are 100% engaged with the people that need your care. You are a steward. You are trustworthy people. Um, stewardship is, is one of those things that, again, we, we almost go without saying. We assume it of people. Um, but it's also something that's very uh, abundantly spoken of in Scripture. We read about it quite often in Scripture. Um, in the uh, NIV, in the translation that we have in the pews, uh, you might, you're going to see the word administration uh, used, stewardship, trustworthiness. They're all talking very much about the same thing. This idea that we expect, we, it goes without saying when we're dealing with an organization or with someone else, but sometimes, sometimes in our own lives, we may fall short of it. Certainly in my life, I have fallen short uh, at times of being trustworthy. And in Paul's life, he is going to come up, we're going to read a passage of scripture today in the book of Ephesians chapter 3. I invite you to turn there, Ephesians chapter 3 and whatever part of scripture you have. And we're going to read, we're going to look at verses 1 through 13. Paul, in the book of Ephesians, it's been a month since we've been here, but in the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters, he's talking about what is it that you need to know. He's, he's reminding them of things that he taught at Ephesus. He's reminding them of things that they need to know in order that in chapters 4, 5, and 6, and we're going to get there in two weeks, 4, 5, and 6, he says, here's, if you know that, then here's how you should live. But in the beginning of chapter 3, he's, he's about to pray a prayer over the church. In verse 1, we read this. It says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And then he pauses. And it's all the way down in verse, t- verse 14 that we come back to the thought that he had in verse 1. Sometimes when reading Paul's letters, it can be confusing because Paul is I, I, he's about to go on a rabbit trail, but it is an incredibly rich rabbit trail. So we're going to come back to verse 1 next week because verse 1 connects directly to verse 14. But we're going to look at this rabbit trail that Paul goes on because he's going to share about his stewardship, what God has entrusted to him, what was his calling, and how is he being trustworthy in it. And then at the end of this, after we study this beautiful stewardship that God gave to Paul, we're going to talk about what does it look like for me as a steward and you as a steward. Because all of us have been entrusted with something from our Savior. So first, let's look at the content of this stewardship. In verse 2, we begin and we read this. It says, Surely you have heard about the administration or stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation. And as I have already written briefly, uh, Paul is going to be writing about some incredibly, his stewardship involved some incredibly uh, deep uh, truths of God. Specifically, and you've already seen it, mystery. You don't see that word often in Scripture. 
Paul writes about it a few times. Uh, others write about it. John writes about the mystery a little bit. Uh, Peter references the mystery. But I will, I will reveal it very soon because in verse 6, Paul's just going to state it. So don't, don't be caught up with that. But he's talking about his stewardship, and he says, This was given to me by revelation, by God revealing what I'm to do. He revealed it to me. Uh, we read about this both in the book of Acts, uh, Paul's, the story of Paul's conversion, but more specifically in Galatians chapter 1, and specifically verse 12. In the first chapter of Galatians 1, Paul writes about his, the revelation that was given to him from God. That, that he was on his way to persecute some Christians. He, was, he met Christ. He was saved. And then he spent three years in the wilderness being in Arabia, being trained by the Spirit of God. And God was instructing him on this mystery. So really, all I want you to understand is at this point, Paul's stewardship was given by revelation. Let's look at verse 5. He says, in reading this then, in reading what I'm writing you, is what Paul's saying, in reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to men in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and to his prophets. The, this mystery that he's about to re tell all of, all of us, remind the Ephesians in verse 6 uh, that we're going to read about right now, he's saying this was something very new, something that had not been revealed before but has now been revealed to not only myself, Paul's saying, but to his apostles, to his prophets that are today. It's been revealed now. It's a new thing. But it was made known by God. That was the source of this mystery. And then Paul just comes out and he says, this is, this is what it is. This mystery, in verse 6, is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Now, this is an incredibly rich passage when you want to study how did God relate to the nation of Israel, how does God relate to the church today, and how is God relating to all of his followers in the future. This is a very meaningful passage, but it is not what we're going to center on today. What Paul's saying and what he had said in, in chapter 1, we'd already talked about it, is the mystery is simply this, that the Gentiles and the Jews who have worshipped separately for thousands of years, who there had become this, this, this gulf between them, were being brought together into one thing. That was the church. That's what Paul writes a lot about. But he said this was the mystery, that God was going to do this, that he was going to bring all peoples together into one beautiful thing, called the church, and he did that through the gospel, the good news that Christ died, he was buried, and he rose again, offering salvation to anyone freely. That was this amazingly beautiful mystery that is revealed. And now Paul says, here's, here's his part. Here's his administration in, in verse 7. He says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace. I, I, and that's significant. I want to come back to that. Paul says, I was given a job or a stewardship, and it was a gift. God gave me something, a job, and it wasn't a task. It was a gift. 
and he says it was a gift of grace. He, he equates his stewardship to his salvation. He says, God saved me by grace, and it was that same grace that he also gave me this stewardship or this administration, this job. So reading again, verse 7. I became a servant of his gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me. Here it is. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for the ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. Paul says, this was my job. This was my stewardship, to preach salvation to the Gentiles and to make known this light, this wonderful news that God has now revealed that the Gentiles and the Jews are together and there's one thing, the church. Beautiful passage, very rich passage, but not what we're going to focus on this morning. That was his stewardship. But I want to focus on a little bit the results of stewardship. And if you're looking and you're taking notes there, we've, we've gone through kind of the model of stewardship. What is it that Paul was called to do? But I want to specifically look at the results of stewardship and how meaningful they are. Each, each verse here, you see in, in the notes, I have a, a blank for each of these, verses 10 through 13. Each of them reveal to us a different result of knowing one's stewardship and doing one's stewardship. First thing in verse 10, Paul says this, His intent, meaning God's intent, was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Very, inter- very, very interesting truth. Um, not only was the manifold wisdom of God, this wonderful truth of God's salvation to be made known to me, to you, to the people at Ephesus, to the people all over the world, but it was going to be made known to the people in the heavenly realms. The, the angels, elsewhere in Scripture, we read about how the angels marvel at what God has done. They say, wow, isn't God amazing? In Revelations, we read about how the angels worship God, and they're just amazed at what he does. So through the church, God is doing something that amazes the rulers in the heavenly realm, these angels. They're amazed at it. But what does Paul know? He knew his purpose in life. If you're filling in the blanks, that's the first thing he knows. I know my purpose in life. In verse 10, he, he says it. He names it. He says, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. Paul says, I know what my purpose is. It's to make him known. To make God known. That's my purpose. I know it. I know it. But more than that, in verse 11, we read this. It says, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, meaning I know who designed it. That's the second blank there. In verse 11, Paul says, I not only know who I am to make known, I'm to make known my Savior, my Creator, but I know who designed my purpose. It was him. 
what we're doing, what the church is doing today, what the church was doing in Ephesus, what Paul was doing, was by God's design. It wasn't something man came up with. It's what God designed. God was the architect. God was the creator. God designed it in verse 11. So we see that a result of being active in his stewardship, Paul could name it. He knew his purpose in life. He also knew who designed it. In verse 12, we read this. It says, In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Now, why is Paul saying that? The last two verses, verse 12, verse 13, almost look like he's tacking on thoughts, but I I don't see it that way at all. Um, He's writing to people who need to approach their Savior, but who was better at approaching and asking for help than Paul? Paul. I mean, he, he knew. We read passages where he's just beaten in prison and decides it's time to have a worship service. There were times where he, very, many times that he went through physical suffering as well as uh, oppression from within the church, oppression from outside of the church, oppression from Rome. There weren't a lot of people, rulers, that were on Paul's side except one who was the creator of the universe. And so in verse 12, Paul's saying, I know where my help comes from. I don't look to Rome. I don't look for other people in some of these churches who come behind me and try to create dissension. I don't look to the Jewish rulers for help. What do I do? In verse 12, in him and through faith in him, we, not just me, all of us may approach God with freedom and confidence. God, I I need your help. You've given me this job to do. I need your help to do it. Each and every day, God, come and help me. I know where my help comes from. That's a result of being active in stewardship. Lastly, verse 13, he says to the people in Ephesus, he says, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged. I'm I'm asking you to do something. I don't want you to be discouraged because of my sufferings. See, Paul was imprisoned at this time. He had undergone several, you know, different beatings at different times, but right now he's imprisoned. And he's writing this letter to them, and he says, hey, I just want to ask you of something. Don't be discouraged. Don't be downcast. Don't be saddened because I am going through some suffering. Because the suffering is for you. We read that in verse 13. It says, of my suffering for you, which are your glory. Meaning, what I'm going through right now is for you. A couple of ways to take this uh, last verse. One may be that because he was going through sufferings, Paul could sit down at that moment and write this letter to them. You know, if, if maybe he wasn't imprisoned, he wouldn't have taken the time to write the letter. That may be something that Paul's saying. Certainly true. As Paul was imprisoned, Paul became a prolific writer. Many of the letters we have from him in Scripture were during his imprisonments. He says, okay, I can't be out telling people the truth, so now I'm going to write out the truth. That may be one way to say that he's describing this, letting them know just because I'm suffering right now, it's for your benefit, so don't be discouraged. There may be another way to, to take this verse in that going back in this passage, Paul says, He said, this is God's gift to me. 
the stewardship, meaning all of it. When I'm preaching to a multitude, when I'm preaching in someone's home, when I'm in prison, it's all the stewardship. It's all the job that God's given me to do. And so I'm given this job, and it's by his, God's grace that I was given this. And it's the same grace that it's offered salvation to you. So that may be the other way that Paul's saying this. He's saying, don't be troubled because God's grace upon me means that I'm in prison because it's through that same grace that you are saved. Either way, either way, here's what Paul knew. He knew who his stewardship or what his administration was to benefit. It benefited others. He says, I'm suffering right now, but it's, it's to benefit you. So this was, this was the case. He says, again, here's how I know what my purpose in life is accomplishing. I know what it is. I know my purpose in life. I know who designed my purpose, who designed my stewardship. I know where my help comes from in my stewardship. And I know who will benefit from my stewardship. And it means other people. It means other people. Well, Paul had a very unique and wonderful stewardship in terms of his calling, uh, what God had done, in terms of saving him, calling him, uh, the job he was given. But there were other things that I think we can connect to our stewardships. Uh, I'd like to ask you to turn to one other passage, 1 Peter chapter 4. I know it's a verse I have shared with you before. It's a great truth, 1 Peter chapter 4. I'll wait till I stop here and the page's turn. This is the last verse we're going to look at today as we look to apply this to my life and to your life. 1 Peter chapter 4. Looking at verse 10. It says, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering, or faithfully being a steward, of God's grace in its various forms. Peter is very much, you can see the connections to what Paul is saying about his stewardship. It's that all of us, me, you, Paul, the people in the church of Ephesus, have been given a gift, have been given something that is a treasure, that is, that is to be appreciated, and we're entrusted with it. It's something incredibly valuable, that we're to use. And the, but the thing is, and, and now we're going to talk about me and you a little bit. We've, we've dove into Paul's life a little bit. Now we're going to talk about me and you a little bit. Is that you and I can so easily get distracted from what that stewardship is. But just busyness, just busyness alone can sometimes cloud how effective we may be at, at our stewardship. Maybe we know what our stewardship is, but I'm not really sure how effective I'm being because I'm so busy. I don't even really have time to think about it. I don't have really time to evaluate, am I accomplishing what God wants me to accomplish? Uh, another thing that happens is very often we have mixed up priorities. And these mixed up priorities can cause us to apply the gifts that God has given us in the wrong areas. And sometimes, sometimes they're even good we would call them good. It's not like we're using our gifts to go out and accomplish sin. 
but maybe we're not using those gifts in the, the best way God has given us. And it can cloud, it can distract us from knowing, are we being good stewards? Are we trustworthy with what God has given each of us? Certainly, sin can handicap our potential. Anytime sin creeps into my life, I handicap myself or cripple myself from being as effective as I should be in terms of stewardship. Something that I can do that's wrong will prevent me from doing the thing that God wants me to do that's right, that's great, that's meaningful, that has eternal value. Well, how do we know? I think very often either uh, we just don't think about it or two, we don't really know how to evaluate are we being good stewards? Are we being trustworthy? Well, I take you back to the truths that Paul spoke of in, in verses 10 through 13. And you can just look at your notes or you can turn back to the passage, whatever you want to do. But I think we can take the results of Paul's stewardship and come up with questions that help you and I to clarify this question. Are we being good stewards? First, Paul knew exactly what his stewardship was. So the first question I would like to ask myself and to ask you is, do you know what your stewardship is? Do you know what it is? Can you write it out in one phrase? You know, Paul said, my job is to preach to the Gentiles God's grace and to make known the revelation. Then later on he said, oh, I'm forgetting it. Uh, he said something like, I, I am to make this known. Uh, verse 10, chapter 3, verse 10, I want to read. Uh, Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. Paul said, I know what my purpose is. It's to make him known. He could write it out. Can you write out your purpose? Have you written it out? Have you ever thought to write it out? If you haven't, I think it's very hard to identify if you're doing it. Make known your purpose. As a church, we know what our purpose is. It's our mission statement. To equip people of all ages to become faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. We can evaluate if we're successful or not by if we accomplish that. We've written it out. You can write it out. That's something to challenge you with. Write it out. Can you name it? Do you know what it is? Do you know your stewardship? One, other, another question. Do you know who designed it? Let me, let me answer that. Paul said, I know who's designed my stewardship. It came from God. Do you know who's designed yours? And, and really, the way to know this, um, Paul said it was given to him by revelation. Uh, scripture is God's revelation to us. So can you back it up with Scripture? When you write out your purpose, your stewardship, this is what I am to do, does it meet up with Scripture? Does God reveal it to you? Can you read it in his word? Another incredible test to know whether or not you're doing God's work, God's stewardship in your life. Third thing, third test for you and for me comes from uh, verse 12. Do you know where your help comes from? Do you know where you get your help from day to day? How, another way to maybe say this is, how often do you invite God to be a part of what you're doing? 
the decisions you're making, the, the, the things that you know you need to do or should do, or how often do you say, God, I just need you involved in this right now. God, I just want you to be a part of what's going on right now. God, I'm sad right now. I want you involved. God, I'm excited right now. I want you involved. God, I'm really mad right now. I want you involved. How often are you inviting him to help you? Where does your help come from? Verse 12. Another, a third test to know whether or not you're doing his work, his stewardship. Uh, lastly, lastly, verse 13. Paul said, don't be discouraged because what I'm going through right now is for your benefit. It's to benefit you, church. With what you do, who does it benefit? Do you know who you are benefiting? Because if it's God's stewardship that he's given to you, whatever you do is to benefit others. That is all throughout God's instruction for the church. Whatever you do, how does it help someone else? An incredible test. An incredible test for me each and every day. An incredible test that it could be for you each and every day. If you want to know, am, am I doing his work? Am I being a good steward? Am I, am I fulfilling the task that God has given me the way that Paul fulfilled his task? Here is the test, these four things. Do, do you know what your purpose is? Can you write it out? Do you know who designed it? Can you back it up with Scripture? Do you know where your help comes from? How often are you inviting God to help you in your life? And lastly, can you name who your stewardship benefits? Because if it's God's stewardship, it will benefit others. This morning, as, as I this week have been challenged by this passage and by Paul's example, I just wanted to set aside a, short, a little bit of time for me and for you to go to our Savior with just anything that is on our hearts. This week, there's been many times where I've found that I just had to stop and I just had to pray for people that I don't even know. People in Florida, people in Texas, people involved in these fires, people in other countries like Cuba and some of these islands that were completely destroyed. I just, I just pray for them, that God would do something that I cannot. There's times I pray for that. There's times I pray for you and what you're having to deal with. And certainly there's times I pray for me and what God's working on in my life. And I want to take time this morning to pray. I, want, I will invite you to pray where you're seated or I invite you to come forward and pray with me or pray by yourself at the altar. We're gonna, we can pray for people we don't know. We can pray for one another. Or maybe today God's spoken to you in terms of your stewardship, what God has given you, and you need to just go to him and pray. And say, God, just reveal to me what is that stewardship. We're going to pray that now. And we're just going to take a few moments. I invite you to come forward and just pray where you are.